Hello Spurs people, there is actually a reason for my wanting to sound posh, which I'll explain later. So yes, hello Spurs people and others, thanks for your interest in my podcast. And because of the Wickham result, it's been renamed the Steve Relieved Man today, podcast today. It's always going to be difficult and awkward, and that's exactly how it turned out. Um, but we got through, it's Everton next, um, but of course it's Liverpool in our thoughts uh, now being back, nearly back into league action anyway. Three managers in the news today, the great Bill Nicholson's birthday, as it is Jose's uh, two, and the Frank Lampard situation at Chelsea is on my agenda. I know that we don't shed any tears in that particular direction, but I do feel sorry for Frank as not enough time given. And I know personally how devastating it feels when for whatever reason, things don't turn out for you as you would like or others expect at your own club. From afar, and that's all it is, without inside information, I think that Frank's a very strong character, built up through his fantastic playing experiences. And he wouldn't have stood for any interference from above and would have let that be known in no uncertain terms. I'm also aware that Frank's stats weren't great, but I honestly believe that he will be a top manager at some time in the future. As with Ozzy and myself, um, you get these jobs because of your experience and character, plus depth of feeling for your club. But when you push back on the interference situation, then I'm afraid there's only one winner, i.e. the owner. But that's not any real type of success in my eyes. With that in mind, I've spoken on a previous Liverpool podcast about the number of competitions I've competed against them. All the normal ones with the series of exhibition games in Swaziland thrown in. But listening back for my own purposes, I managed to leave one out, one very important competition out. And I know that Howard's going to talk about it a little bit later. That competition was called the Screen Sports Super Cup, played between, I believe, clubs who couldn't compete in Europe because of a ban on, on the English clubs. That competition was a total waste of time and yet another great money-making idea of Irving Scholar. Our old goalkeeper, well, not so old, Tony Parks has a birthday today too. Remembered for his important role in the UEFA Cup win in 1984 with fantastic penalty saves. In later years, I took him to Brentford, uh, got him transferred there under me. He played at Anfield in our FA Cup quarterfinal. And now he's working for Manchester United in their young goalkeeping section, re-identifying young talent. 
I'm really, really pleased to witness how Tony has developed into a strong character with opinions to match and great to speak to recently about his um, opinions on how the great game of ours is developing from his perspective. Of course, he's worked for Spurs, uh, Aston Villa and the FA uh, since retiring. Whilst thinking of goalkeepers, and Tony played, as I said, in that famous trophy-winning game, as he'd replaced the injured Ray Clements, God bless him, some months earlier, and Keith Birkenshaw decided to leave him in the team with Clem on the bench. To a lot of people's surprises, I have to say, but it worked out for us. I did sell David James from Watford to Graham Souness's Liverpool, a year early in my opinion, from his perspective, at tribunal for one million pounds. Again, from earlier podcasts, you'd be aware that David was a Spurs schoolboy and for various reasons decided that Watford was a better bet to progress his career. And sometimes it comes down to geography. He lived in Hertfordshire. His best friend was training at Watford and the best friend's father used to drive him around and therefore he thought it best to join Watford. After some months, I went to Fulham to watch a reserve game and at halftime came across Tom Saunders, who was one of the famous boot room people. So over a welcome cup of tea, I asked him, how's David getting on? He looked at me and said, David James. Hmm. David James, how is David James getting on? Then all of a sudden he said, so he wants a goalkeeping coach. Quite sternly, actually. So I came in on this with, well, Tom, in David's developing years at Watford, he had Peter Bonetti and felt that the twice weekly sessions really helped improve him. Hmm. Yeah. But as we told him, Steve, Keep the fucking ball out of the fucking net. Any more goalkeeping help you need? What he was getting at was, we've just paid one million pounds for you, so get on with it. Good evening, Howard. How are you? I suppose you're very happy with the uh, cup result. Yeah, well, very pleased. Um, as Tom was pointing out to us earlier, we're still in all four competitions, yeah. which is pretty good going. Wonderful. Uh, just hope the matches don't catch up with us. Yeah, I suppose the size of the squad is going to be so important, isn't it? And um, and the level of confidence throughout that squad as well. Um, if you have people on the bench and they're never getting a game or any type of game, then, you know, that's not going to be helped, is it? But because uh, eventually these, all these players are going to get called into play. So especially in a season like this where games are tightening up. But um, so what are you going to talk about, Howard, with regard to Liverpool coming next game? I've got a couple of games I'm going to cover. One was the, in April um, 1960. And the other one was at this Super Screen Sports Super Cup, which you just mentioned. Far away. 
In the 50s and 60s, league fixtures would include most teams playing twice against the same sides, either side of Christmas Day and Easter. This could include some odd schedules, giving players very little time to recover after the first game, and it sometimes meant a huge amount of travelling. We're talking here of coaches and trains, planes being a rarity, usually only for European games. In 1963, to cause further congestion, Spurs were also competing in the European Cup Winners' Cup, on which, as everybody knows, as every schoolboy knows, we went on to win. So the fixtures list read, 12th of April, Liverpool away, we lost 5-2, and Bill Nicholson was furious, because Liverpool were only promoted to the first division the previous season, so it was a bitter pill to be beaten so heavily by upstarts. 13th of April, the very next day, Fulham away, we drew one all. 15th of April, two days later, we had the return fixture with Liverpool. Result, we won 7-2. Brilliant. The next match was away to league leaders Everton and we lost 1-0. But maybe if we had a less punishing fixture list, we might have won that match and would have had a chance of winning the league. In the 80s, English clubs were banned from European competitions after the Heisel disaster. The authorities tried... The authorities tried various tournaments and Spurs played in a few of these, but none were taken very seriously. One was the Screen Sport Super Cup, which was a four-team league. Ray Clements invited us to come to the game at Liverpool and in the event he was given seats in the director's box for us. Viv said to me, what do we do if we score? I said to her, don't worry about it. I was right. It never happened. Never happened. Everton did win the league that year, Howard, didn't yeah. they? When yeah. they beat us 1-0, as you said, after that run of games. So, uh, yeah, thank you very much for that. Very, very good. So I mentioned earlier about Frank Lampard's stats and would like to talk about this aspect. Um, before stats with regard to old Liverpool's decision-making on players. It stems from a previous radio show that I heard with John Barnes telling that Glenn Hoddle was the best player he ever played with. But, and it was a big but, Liverpool would not have picked him as he didn't fit into their way of playing. So I think that's very interesting how a team sets out to recruit its players and what they're looking for as such. So I want to tell you about a theory told to me by Paul Tisdale, who I worked with for many years at Exeter City, who now manages at Bristol Rovers. And during our time together, he became a trusted friend and one who together we used to bounce ideas off each other but generally all from our own experiences in developing as players during different eras I have to say because he's a lot younger than me uh, me of course at Spurs uh, Tiz at Southampton uh, with highs and lows in both our careers that lead to lessons being learned which formulate some football ethics and beliefs Tiz believes, and I agree, that one of the most important stats of all is how a player rates his own performance and therefore his own self-image from that particular game that is being judged on. 
He advises players how to mark themselves, but starts off by asking the group, what is an acceptable score to gain out of 10? And generally the answer comes back as seven and a half, eight, which tells them that a seven is very acceptable. This type of talk takes place obviously in a meeting room and not out on the practice field, but eventually leads to a realization of what's needed to improve your performance in probably a more realistic way, especially for young players. Now, this may be useful to any of you supporters that are listening, or on the other hand, people that do lead young players' development at school or in a local club team, but probably not so useful to just the normal supporter who listens. Uh, although I think it might give you some clue as to why some players come to a stop in their game as per progress. As we all know, the so-called superstar having a blip in their performances or like Ndombele, who has an enormous surge in their output from one month to the next, hopefully led by good direction with a clear mind as to what's been missing before and needs addressing. Paul divided this judgment into five sections written on a flip chart, started at the bottom of the chart and worked upwards. That's very important. You work upwards as the player judging his own performance. And these five sections, he gives a mark of two for each section. First one being physical, i.e. able to play your position consistently for 95 minutes because every game lasts roughly 95 minutes now. So be fit enough to play consistently for that amount of time. Not, not great for the first five minutes and useless for the last 10, consistently. So you've got to be fit. Match understanding. That means able to deliver the team plan that the manager sets out. So you might have a back four player that's has to learn about playing offside because the manager wants that sort of system. Other managers like to drop off. So you've got to understand the match team plan. Attitude is the next one. Rethinking the right thing. Next one is technique. Able to execute your job, i.e., position-specific skill set. So, for instance, looking at our 80s team, Paul Miller's skill set as a centre-back would need to be different to Chrissy Hewton's. Chrissy Hewton's a, a free-running left-back. Maxie was a strong, tough winner of the ball, put his body in the way, headed everything that come near him. And also looking at those two players, their fitness would be have, to, have to be different because Chrissy Hewton would be bombing down the line and getting back and bombing down the line again to getting crosses and then being able to defend. Whereas Paul Miller would probably be staying around about the halfway line. 
And lastly, star quality, i.e. the special, the special that every player has got, be it the Glenn Hoddle special passing, special goals, or the, another type of player who, like I said about Paul Miller, Graham Roberts, put their body in the way of the shot to save a game. So there's five segments there and you give yourself two out of, a maximum two in each segment. So your best score could be 10. Tiz says seven's great. But actually when you look at those segments, you could get a six without ever touching the ball. I come back to the point, you have to judge yourself from bottom upwards. So I mentioned this to Mickey Hazard. I said, what do, you, what do you think about this, Mick, this way, this belief? He says, Stevie, if I'd have heard that when I was a player, I'd have been a better player. And I said, why is that? He said, because at the end of a game, I would only judge myself by what I thought was my quality. A, a control and passing quality. I could have you know, a decent shot at goal, etc. So, Steve, sometimes I couldn't sleep till, you know, at six o'clock in the morning after a game, I was still awake because I didn't think I'd done what Mickey Hazard is capable enough. But as per this judgment, if I can run up and down the pitch, there's two points. If I understand my job, if I've got the techniques necessary to carry off my game, then I don't think I would have got so disappointed so many times. Because it was as if I was judging myself from the top. I was only judging, have I done my special? And actually the fact that it's special, it's not so easy to do. So, um, yeah, I'm wondering if any of you lead young players out there, whether you think that's of use to you. Um, perhaps Deli Ali is being put through a similar thing by Jose. Endombele might have been pointed out, you are not fit enough to do your job that I want you to do in the team. So your improvement comes from of course, working on your fitness. They signed him because he was a fantastic player. They paid an amount of money for him because he, he had that special technique. But if you can't do the rest of it, you won't be getting in the team. And I think this is the way that, that Jose goes about his job. So um, I hope you found that interesting. So this is Stephen J. Perryman signing off. I heard on the radio today that you raise your level of importance and status by using the middle, your middle name letter in your title. So Stephen J. Perryman, how impressive does that sound? I'm sure you're all tired of being locked down, but at least some would be delighted to have missed out on the laborious journey to work, especially in the latest bout of snow we've had to endure from, uh, from the comfort of our own homes. Liverpool will be a tough game. 
they will be like wounded animals and desperate to make up for and change their current form. Injuries have hurt them and confidence has suffered, but trust me, they're going to be dangerous. But we should have lots of confidence off the back of being involved in four, four situations and um, everyone looks like they're, they're playing to the right, uh, right tactics and understanding them. So let's hope for a good performance and certainly a good result. So thank you very much, Tom. Thank you, Howard, for your input as ever. And um, come on, you Spurs, and we'll speak later.